Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts, reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests. Howdy and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. It's a pleasure to have you with us as we explore the last week's rugby and coaching content. This week, I've rounded up three more fine coaches. So, gents, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, where you're from and your current role. Chris Bengay, uh, currently living in Whitstable. Um, coach in Whitstable under 13s next season and also director of rugby at Ashford Rugby Club in Kent which compromises of looking after all the senior rugby, um, ladies rugby, girls rugby, and mini junior section coach development. Um, yeah, so really pleased to be here and really looking forward to it. Uh, Roy Davis, um, so currently at Bristol uh, PDG and also Bridgewater and Taunton College, working across both the boys and the girls programme. Uh, Mike Pope, living in Bournemouth and coaching um, Bournemouth Rugby Club, um, senior team, the uh, head of rugby at Bournemouth Collegiate School and also working uh, with Bath DPP. Superb, gents. Thank you very much for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, did you know I used to have metal stars attached to the back of my boots, but I took them off? It was a spur of the moment decision. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to run briefly through the format. So if you are discovering us for the first time, then welcome. If you are returning, thank you. And we hope you continue to enjoy the roundup. We will be discussing and reviewing some of the content that has taken place over the last week. The guests will give you a brief overview of their learnings from some content they've engaged with, and then we'll discuss and question how we might make it applicable in our environments. At the end, there'll be a quick rundown of what the guys are looking forward to in the coming week. Links to all the content we discuss can be found in the blurb accompanying the podcast, so please do have a look. Right, getting straight into it. Uh, Chris, we are coming to you. Uh, I'm excited for this one. So um, my my bit of content that I caught up with this week and listened to was last night, and it was the Leinster Rugby St Mary's collab on tactical periodisation in rugby. Um, and it's obviously I've heard about it through football a little bit um, with the likes of Jose and, and the crew. Um, and they've done a study into serial winning with um, tactical periodisation used. And what was really interesting that Pep Guardiola wasn't part of that study. He wasn't deemed successful enough. Um, they didn't go into the criteria around that, but I thought that was quite interesting. Um, who knows why? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, just going into some of my brief notes around that. For me, it was it was really challenging for me as a coach to think, how do I how do I do this? How do I simplify it so that I understand it? And, and Mike Ashford, who was one of the panellists on there, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I thought he was brilliant, the way he simplified it. Um, so just just for me, it was about starting with an end in mind, a way of play, um, a way to play the game that's flexible, and the moments within the game. Um, and it, there were some interesting stats within it that in international rugby, ball in play is thirty-seven minutes, and in schoolboy academy rugby, ball in plays around seventeen minutes. Um, so I kind of thought about it. Well, where 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 does that sit? at my level in the community game. 
some days it's probably a lot less than that and some days it's probably around the 20 odd minute mark so what's happening for the rest of the 60 minutes in my games um and what does that look like even less and what does what does one transition look like so it was that was pretty cool to to get an understanding of what i need to be thinking about as a coach and and then when you break ball in play down what how long's an attack how long's a, a defense what does the transition like the most unorganized part of the game um but the moments of the game made me think heavily and control possession challenging defense create opportunity transition and restarts and automatically i thought in my head well control possession right scrum line out possibly first phase and then i thought to myself well no because maybe i need to flip that on its head that actually scrum and line out as restarts of the game so maybe i need to think differently about what they look like um and then the challenge in defense and the create opportunity is that part of the transition zone as well so it was it was it's it's really really struck with me and how i need to keep thinking and developing on that within my practice design um to represent what i'm looking at and i go back to a game uh last last season it might have been or the season before and it was um king's hospital away and actually the ball in play was for 12 minutes from the kickoff there were no knock-ons no scrums no restarts no nothing and both teams collapsed <laughs> when there was a knock-on. Everybody literally took a knee. I've never seen anything like it. It was just, just yeah, kick, never went out, caught, off we go again and, and play rugby. And I mean, it, it, was, it, it was proper, proper rugby. And there were some good lads playing that day. Um, and it was, in fact, it was the same week that I think Phil's old team, Hinkley, when you hit the posts, um, with the scrum because we'd done exactly the same as well but we hadn't knocked ours over um <laughs> so that's how i remember that kind of day um but yeah no it was it was a really good really good session and last night and thinking about how i go about structuring the the elements of the game really um across the board and where where i sit within the transition and they they were looking at transition at, attack to defense and defense to attack and i've i've just noted it as a transition and maybe i need to break that down further to think about that better what does that look like or can it just all be in one melting pot i'm not sure yet um about how to how to do that so i think i've got some more digging up to do around tactical periodization in rugby and i think i think it's only going to come more to the fore potentially with a momentum element to it as well are they are those are those moments of the game potential momentum swingers as well? Um, so yeah, I need to. That's that's pretty much where I'm at with that at the moment. Nice, love that. What uh, I'll throw this open open question to the group. What do we think the benefits of tactical tactical periodization are going to be for for the game? As as Chris said, it's it's come from football. Uh, is a Portuguese invention, I think. Um, mm. Basically, then borrowed by Eddie Jones. He seems to be kind of the leading light for it within rugby at the moment. But where where do we think the the benefits are for the community game with it? I think for me, like having looked into it as well, it's well. I think I think you mentioned it is is ways to just simplify the game. Um, so I don't know how long 
you know, we've been coaching now, or it's been advised to now coach to principles. So the principles of play, so everyone understands, you know, go forward, support, continuity, that sort of thing. And then I suppose having these moments in the game, you can then look at the actions or the behaviours associated with with those moments. Um, and then for me, it's kind of like, I suppose, an easier way to, to coach it as well. So I know that, you know, from, from transition um, attack to defense, we're going to have a set of, of principles or, or a process. And then I, I can then break that down into like a sub uh, principle and a sub principle and a sub sub principle almost to then give to the guys. And, and it's almost like a little bit of a framework for them to work off and, and we can almost check it off when we're analyzing it or, or trying to coach it. Yeah, I think I'd probably, you know, agree with that and, and support that really. I guess it's kind of the ability to give a, a framework to what we're coaching without giving as much framework to players. And I think that would potentially be, be an advantage of it from, from my perspective. Nice. So second follow-up question on that is how applicable do we feel it is in the community environment without the data? So for the anyone who did see it, I, th I thought probably one of the key, key slides was when Brett talked about um, the number of, uh, or the ball in play stats, and then actually how many tackles teams were making or how many rucks or how many lineouts or, or um, kind of, you know, scrums and, and all these different things across the junior game, the women's game, the men's senior game, international game. And, and there was a lot of data in there. And, and, you know, he pulled that from a number of different resources. My question is, and I think that's really important for us to know and understand, to shape ultimately what training looks like that we need to train in an environment that mirrors the game more closely but if we don't have that data um or we're interpreting someone else's data to our squad does it does it just kind of undermine the whole process from the off it's difficult isn't it because you know the community game i, I would suggest is quite wide-ranging in terms of uh, access to analysis access to, to facilities to all those sort of information so i think you know you what it might do is challenge clubs to actually, if possible, maybe prioritise some resource to, to make sure that, you know, they're, they're getting that information so that they're relating what they're doing to what they're trying to achieve. Um, but obviously that's not possible for everybody in, everybody, in every environment anyway. So, yeah. I, think, I think going back to Chris's sort of example of the, the 12 minutes in play, like if you, if you then went, right, you know, after that, the boys were flagging, so now we're going to have to train them to then play for 12 minutes you, you it's such a like you know you said you never seen it before you probably never see it again so you can't you can't use the data you've got to use the data that's obviously appropriate for, for your own club so if your ball in play time in average is 17 minutes and you know i suppose the majority of them are coming from scrums and you you know that actually okay we need to work on our support in, in attack so that um we're not knocking the ball on and then having to scrum so much or we have to work on our scrum loads and loads and loads. So um, that's, that's sort of my take on it anyway. Um, but like, like Phil saying, you can't, it's really easy. It'd be easy to say, Oh, like, you know, lengths to train like this. So I'm going to train like this now, but actually, you know, the, 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 we don't have the time. We don't have the, the resources like Roy said. And yeah, it's just, um, it's knowing what's, it's knowing your team really well, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's also understanding where they've come from from the day as well. Like mm. Their day might have been awful. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then they come training and you're putting something on them that they are not interested in or don't want to buy into or can't can't see that, what you're trying to do. And that, that frustration then bears through. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed last night and it, it gave some really good practical examples as well of, of session design as well and what session weeks could look like. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me think, well, if we, if we had a big game coming up that was really important to us as a group, would we train differently? Would we add in a captain's run on a Friday night? Would we do anything differently? Um, and just looking at their kind of week to week, match Saturday, match following Saturday, Sunday's complete rest. Um, Monday, are they doing their own work? Is there their own work going on? And then Tuesday, we get into the nitty gritty, some contact because they should be should be ready for contact. And again, that's difficult as well because in the community game, I've got some really big boys and some really strong athletic guys that if I have a new player turn up at the club and they get hit on session session three say that's it i've lost them to the next next club in the village it's who who won't do that so it's it's how we how we manage all those contact minutes going on for the group really um and can can tactical periodization fit in i'm not sure yeah i just on that contact thing when i when i first saw it like mike ashford's one i was really pleased to see that the tuesday contact thing because like again it all comes down to research and data so now me but by, by, by being able to go back to the boys and say actually we're going to do contacts on a tuesday because they'd look at you and be like well that's mental we played on saturday yeah like, well if you did your recovery saturday, saturday, sunday and monday you know we, we're good to go tuesday but then you try to introduce it on thursday like oh no not two days before a game <laughs> and you're like all right so when are we going to do our contact um that's but it, now yeah. you've got that data and you can actually show them that you know, as long as you've recovered right, like Tuesday is the best day to do it because yeah. we're, you know, we're away, we're, we're, we're far enough away from the game to be able to do it. And they, I think amateur t- players need that. They need that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one thing I did this, this year, I took, I took those senior players out that would absolutely annihilate people mm. and brought them in as kind of coaches of the breakdown or those little things. Cause they are, they're senior players. They're, they're 28 to 32 that, might not have that many more years, bless them if they're listening. Yeah. Sorry, I think they're fresh cult. That's it. So can you just manage the breakdown rather than kill somebody. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought I thought it was really good, and I thought it was really interesting concept. And I think how I simplify what that message is 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 crucial. Mm. That's that's the part in my head that will be my next work on. Superb, great stuff. Roy, coming to you, what was uh, what was your one for this week? Yeah, great. So um, I actually watched the uh, Magic Academy um, session on Wednesday with uh, Nigel Redman and Kevin Bowerin uh, on coach development, or at least titled on coach development. I think actually it was a lot more around, you know, what qualities do a successful coach have um, and, and touch a little bit on coach development. Very, very interesting. Uh, it was now around 39 minutes, so quite, quite long and quite a lot of, uh, of notes coming back. Um, I think the key thing for me was that there was a lot of focus on connection, people-to-people connection, um, and actually that being one of the, the more important skills in terms of your coaching, which I think obviously we'd, we'd probably all agree with. Um, so just, just as an example, so you know, the first slide that, that Major Redman put up to explain himself and what he's about was... You know, talk about people first, about that connection. Talk about wanting to explore as an individual, actually, 
when he talked about exploring, it was about not assuming what he was going to find out. So explore for the sake of exploring and, and enjoy the process. Talked about his kind of uh, his kind of KPIs that he measured himself on. So um, you know, for him, it was about is he credible? Could he add value to the group? And is he authentic? And those would be the things that he would sort of keep challenging himself on. Uh, and things that he would look to find different experiences to to change that, particularly around some of the credibility stuff. Um, there's a really interesting equation that he put up, um, which I, hopefully we can um, share, or if you go and see it, uh, but it basically talked around the relationship between knowledge, understanding, application, um, and then pressure and adaptation, which was really, really interesting. Um, but what he was keen to point out with that equation, with that formula, is that there isn't one formula for performance or what works for you uh, with your players and your group won't necessarily work for everybody else. Uh, and there's no real right or wrong. Um, Kevin Bowen then talked about um, he was personally driven by not being good enough as a player. Um, and his quote was that he learned that he still had a lot to learn, uh, which I think is something we could all utilize and, and take forward, really. Talked. Uh, about the importance of critical thinking friends um, and about ensuring that those are people that you, you trust and a, and a self-created network. He sort of expressed that he wasn't hugely a fan of forced mentors on people and actually those relationships that you build with people uh, are far better and you get far more authentic uh, feedback if they're up from a relationship from a position of trust. Uh, talked around um, Roger Redmond discussed some of his learnings now that he's with uh, GB Swimming uh, around some of the Olympic performance stuff around uh, GB Cycling, talk a lot about uh, the aggregation of marginal uh, gains, but actually he felt that the aggregation of marginal deficits were just as important. Uh, so actually that relationship between the little things that chip away with you, your mood, your energy, uh, and how that impacts performance. Um, and again, another quote which, which I liked was that the mood of the team is a reflection of the mood of the leader. Uh, something again, I think is really worthwhile keeping in mind. Uh, and talked about the importance of noticing things. You know, being really present as a coach and not just being focused on what you're delivering and what you're doing, but actually how that's been received, what the energy in the group is, what people's body language are taking in. And using those things that you notice as a, as a basis for a conversation going forward to really further that connection. Um, again, talked about um, how he, important he felt that the not just players and staff were connected, but the, the staff group, the performance team was connected, be it rugby sports specific staff, be that physios, be that uh, SNCs, real important that connection is there uh, and discussed, you know, situated learning and, and people in in performance environments not always having the time to go and study all the academic things particularly the players and, and read all the books and stuff but actually as a group what language do you use uh, what does it mean and how do you bring it to life uh, and that real learning from each other uh, via your connections rather than you know relying on lots and lots of outside information all the time i thought that was really really interesting um, a focus on collaboration is quite a similar theme, um, but looking at isolation and co-creation and collaboration sitting somewhere on a continuum between them and how you find that. And the, the, he felt that the best uh, integration between staff tended to happen when a player was injured. 
And so how do we create opportunities for that to happen more? But you know, when a player's injured, everyone's focused on how do they get them back on back on pitch, what's the goals, what's the time scales, how are they going to do that? What, what is your role involved in that? Actually, why couldn't that be a more common thing that happens generally? Um, some really interesting stuff around that team stuff, around staff teams, longevity of a performance teams that Kevin Bowring talking about actually in a performance environment now there's a lot of change, potentially too much change, and that makes it much harder for the people to develop that trust with each other and get those really authentic relationships. They said obviously that you know it's important to have diversity within that, diversity of lens and to avoid group thinking, but actually that will developing that trust and that connection word again, you know. Um, Kevin Bowen felt that trust was about competence and character. Uh, so actually, and your character is what's your integrity, how do you support people, and more importantly, how do you listen to people? Um, and that different people will uh, give you trust in different ways. So some people will give it, you know, uh, give it to you freely and expect you to deliver on that. Other people uh, will want you to go and earn it. So understanding the people that you have, the group that you have, uh, and how you can earn that trust. Um, lots of buns coming from me here. You can edit those out. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, back to that trust word. So um, most players will trust a coach to do their job, but can you connect with them? Can, and, you know, there's that expectation that you will connect with them, and that you won't just know what you're talking about, but you care about what you're delivering, and you'll care about them as an individual and a person. And establish expectations early, so, so don't just assume that you know what your players want and your players know what they want from you. Actually have conversations around those expectations and what they want. So, so some good quotes, uh, again, so as a coach, it's not my job to understand, it's my job to help you understand. So. You know, talking around how, how as, as a coach, and we've all done it, we all want knowledge, 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 because we all want to be able to solve the problems. But the, the beauty is in the players being able to solve the problems. So you don't need to come away from every conversation understanding. You just need to come away from conversations developing their understanding. Um, really good example um, given around high performance teams and whether, you know, there's lots of chat, I guess, and I think we hear it a lot in rugby around numbers of caps and learning from failure, that sort of stuff. I think uh, a really good example that was given within that in terms of high performance would be a bomb disposal unit. They don't get the opportunity to learn by failure. Uh, so actually, you know, how are you preparing them in training? So the first time they go and perform a task, they can execute that task. and you know, there's, there's probably that is a question that's you know will stick with me. I don't really have the answers to that. I don't think they have the answers to that, but it's just something to think about as you go. Uh, and and yeah, really. So you know, talking about how a player's feeling, asking them how are they feeling. Um, you know, because feeling drives your thoughts, and your thoughts drive your actions. Nigel Redman talked a lot around loving questions, like loving being asked questions by his players. Um, but a key part of that, if you're going to ask questions, you've got to make sure you listen to the answers. I thought it was really interesting. He, he felt that actually people often come in with planned questions and he didn't think they were very good. Um, 
you know, your he felt that your next question should come from the answer you've just been given. Your follow-up question should be based on, on what you've heard and, and really having those listening skills developed, again, establishes that connection. Um, and then when you are listening, so when, you, when you're then dealing with those players, can you use the same language as them? Uh, so, you know, using the words that they use and having the courage to leave a conversation without having an answer, not always having to get to, to get to a resolution around what you do. Probably one of the more interesting uh, comments on the whole thing I thought came from Kevin Burren, uh, and he said that there's a saying that novice coaches go on courses, intermediate course coaches go to conferences, uh, but expert coaches drink coffee. Uh, and again, just talking about those um, real authentic uh, network of, of uh, contacts that you can rely on, that you can sound out, seek people within the areas that you want to know. But again, you know, it can be informal and you probably get more detail from those, from those informal uh, conversations. And then the last bit really was around uh, reflection and that the purpose of reflection is, is to improve your <coughs> further performance. But, you know, the real good coaches are the ones who can reflect in the moment, the ones who are present and engaged pitch side, they can see why something isn't working and rather than just getting frustrated or angry, actually they can think of a solution to change that to make that more applicable at that point. Um, and again, uniqueness of individuals, uh, to, you know, technical and tactical knowledge not necessarily being enough, but it's how you can create people who can solve problems. Um, and then they were asked just as, just as a final bit really around what would good coach education entail for them. And they said that they felt the best coaches had real good uh, emotional intelligence, so they were self-aware, uh, they had a good environmental awareness, they were able to self-manage and manage others, uh, they could give responsibility and raise awareness, but really keenly could manage and manipulate pressure, which then obviously leads to better decision makers being created and a real clarity of vision around how you see the game and how you want it played. Um, and that was it really. Um, I'll be honest, I'm still mulling over a lot of those questions and how that applies uh, to my own practice myself. I don't necessarily feel um, I've come away with a whole set of answers, but I think that's probably the point. And I think that's probably important. It's just got more questions in my mind. Do you, Roy, do you find in terms of, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about the, um, like the relationship. Um, Thing. So, like, obviously, you've been in, in the PDG and like in the DPP. That's definitely something that I haven't done enough is is build those relationships. Like, you see these guys for a, a, such a short period of time. Like, it, you know, it might be like eight weeks, or or might be even less with with some of them. Um, and then, as a coach, like, I was like, oh, I, I need to, you know, I need to make sure that we're on time and and you know, we, we, we're we're hitting all these critical outcomes and all this sort of stuff. When actually, and reflecting on it, it's like, oh well. I don't even know his name and I've, I've known him for eight weeks now. Um, and, and it's just, has it, is, is that something you were already conscious of before, before the, the webinar, like with the PDG or, um, is it something you've, you know, you, you've taken from that, uh, that you, you want to try and improve on or. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, my background originally is teaching. So I think as part of my sort of, um, teaching development it's always had to be about understanding each child and, and knowing their journey as much as you possibly can and i always tried to take that into my into my coaching but you're absolutely right in that 
in a DPP, PDG environment when, you know, there are a lot of kids, 50, 60 kids yeah. sometimes, you're seeing them for an hour a week. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, so I sort of came into the PDG slightly after it had started last season. Uh, so I also missed quite a big block at the start. Mm. Um, and I just found for me, I was always in the back foot trying to, trying to get to know them, but having conversations. Uh, and I'm really lucky that the people around me knew the players well, mm. but having conversations about those players and it, it was just a real challenge. So it's definitely something I want to do better this year. Uh, but I'm also aware it's going to continue to be a challenge because it'll be a whole load of other kids coming in that I haven't seen before. We start from scratch, really. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think just just on that as well. I think rugby's a contact sport and, and coaching's a contact sport as well because you want to make as many as much contact with those players as possible to be able to have those discussions. Um, one thing that I really struggle with is dropping a player. That's mm. I find that. Because it, it's always a unique reason for dropping somebody. It's very rare that you give the same reason to, from one player to another player. I, I, it's, it's one of my biggest work-ons and certainly asking my players what they want more from me is they, they'd much rather I just straight bang to the yeah. point. That's it. We're done. Just don't tell me, like, you're, going, you're talking too much, these reasons you've told me I'm dropped, I'm gone, I'm, I'm going for a beer, see you later. It's, <laughs> it's, I mean, do, you not just, do you not just tell them their shit and then move on? <laughs> Is that where I've been going wrong? Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I, think it's, um, I think it's a really pertinent point, like something I've always felt and struggled with. Like Players say that they want face-to-face conversations, but as soon as you say that the news, tell you you're not being selected this week, I don't think any of the information beyond that yeah. is retained. So I've kind of worked on a system before where actually I've done it by text, not because I'm chickening out, but because I want them to have a, and I've explained this to the players, I want them to have a resource to be able to go back to. So actually when the emotion has passed a little bit, they've calmed down a bit. And when Saturday's been and we've lost, so I was wrong anyway, then they can they can go and they can look at what I've told them and they can yeah. they can see how they apply that and I think probably that is some there, there's different ways of doing it and I guess it comes back to how much do players trust you and, and yeah. that only comes when you've longevity of time uh, integrity in what you do consistency in how you approach things like and, and I think knowing them as well like knowing it's like what Chris you said. You know, you probably know there's some players that just want to be told straight. Yeah. You know, and then there's some that need, you know, need that real justification so they can go away and digest it. And um, and then, you know, there might be a conversation later on, you know, a couple of days later. Oh, I, dis- I disagree with this. I don't. Or, um, yeah, I find that difficult. Like I actually got it, someone suggest. well, my level three mentor suggested um, he's got a contact at one of the local clubs near here who um, she's, I think she's a, a grievance counsellor. And he was like, go and speak to her. Like, just go and see how she delivers bad news. Like, I was like, that's such a good idea. Like, because, you know, I've never had to do it. I've never had to deliver bad news. And to me, like, oh, it's just a game, mate. Like, chill out. But actually, for these players, it might be the, you know, they they absolutely love it. And, and it might be amateur, but they still really, really care. And them being dropped or not being involved it is, to them, could be huge. So it's trying to, it's trying to know... Like yeah, find find how many ways or the best way for for each individual and and um, exploring different ways to be able to do 
that because I find it awkward as hell. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, you know, if we're really all honest, unless we're sociopaths, we, we want to be liked. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually you're doing something that you know is going to make yeah. mean that you're not yeah. going to be liked at the end of the conversation. And, you know, for me, I've always found that a bit of a challenge because, you know, human beings are designed to, you know, be people pleasers and to be sociable and, and to connect. And actually you're doing something where you put yourself in a position where, you know, at the end of that conversation, whatever you say, however you say it, yeah, they're not your fan. <laughs> Do you think there's a really important point there around the self-worth that we attribute to being a rugby player or being in those types of environments? I'm thinking, but certainly for younger players, and, and I would definitely recognise this in adults, but maybe not as much. Those those are the really tough conversations because within their social group, they are known as the player or the the academy player or the best player in the team or whatever it is. And then suddenly, if, if they're not selected, where they're attributing them as a person, whatever that kind of may be, that's, that is almost one and the same as them as a rugby player rather than being quite comfortable going, actually, look, I'm still just me, but... I've just not been selected for one game or for the final or whatever that is, but that's, that doesn't actually define or change who I am. I, th- I think too often uh, the value that you have on pitch, tran- unfortunately in a rugby environment, translates into the value that you have off pitch. Uh, and, you know, if you've put that into any other walk of life, like I'm, I'm terrible at like DIY and building things. I would hate to think that people judge me as a bloke based on my ability to, you know, build a wall or or hang a door or something, you know, because I'm absolutely terrible at it. But probably that is something that happens with rugby and it's a a real challenge, and any sport I'd imagine, and it's probably a real challenge to be able to create an environment where that doesn't happen. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's a great point. I'm going to jump back to one of the points you guys made about the, um, the, the DPP and the PDG. Do, have you looked at doing video IDPs? Just, just that kind of minute, two minute, this is who I am, this is what position I play, this is why I want to be here, and just having them on file so you guys can just jump in and look at those whenever you need to and actually get a name and a face and some information about a player before you come into that programme or, or as that programme goes along. It's, um, it's funny you mention that because the, the, the guy um, who coaches Colts for Bournemouth has, has done that with using Coach Logic. Um, he's basically just... Yeah, little video by it. And I thought that was awesome. Like, so, so cool. Because there's times as well where um, I had this conversation with a few of the guys from the DPP the other day where you, because they're in the DPP and they're wearing a bit of, a bit of stash, you think they want to be the next, you know, Anthony Watson, for example. And some of them do, but some of them are just really good at rugby, rugby and enjoy playing it, and, but haven't actually thought further afield. So if you knew that about them, that they're just here for a good time and you know they just love the game and they just they just want to get better but they don't really have they haven't thought about that end goal it would it would honestly it would help i i, I truly believe it would help me as a coach because i think oh they should be you know why aren't they doing their idps or why aren't they doing their but actually like they've got other stuff going on and and yeah it's such i i'm definitely going to use that moving forward um like we've done like little pictures and stuff but it's like you said it's just it's just not enough it's just so. Uh, it's, it's definitely something I think would, would help and, and support it and definitely help me. Uh, what I will say is, you know, there's some, some of the other coaches I work with, so I'll, uh, some of us know Hawks is an example. He is absolutely brilliant at knowing every kid, yeah. what they're about, um, you know, 
any sort of inane little fact about them, which is which is great. It really helps them to build that connection. So you know, it, it can be done without changing how we do it. And I just need to challenge myself to get better at it. As I say, hopefully starting from the start of the process will make me make it a lot easier for me as well. You know? He is, he is a policeman, mate. So they, that, that is how they think. Like, I, the more information I have on you, the better. Is that is that type of thing? Uh, right. We will jump into Mike uh, for your piece of content this week. Yeah. So um, I've been looking in the downtime at session design. I'm just trying to improve my session design, having reflected on on this season. And um, forgive me if I pronounce his name incorrectly, but. Um, listen to a, a podcast um, on modern soccer coach by Moritz Kosman. Um, and yeah, just being creative in session design, basically. I think the guy hosting was, was really excited um, about having him on, which was, which was great for me. Um, I've never heard of him before, but I've since then checked out some of his stuff and it's really cool. And as you can probably gauge from the title, it is, it is a, he is a soccer coach, but a lot of it was, was so transferable. Um, and yeah, basically for me, key key takings, I think. So I think as coaches, we, we have like our sort of coaching philosophies and attacking philosophies and defensive philosophies, but I actually never thought of having a philosophy for the way I design sessions. I just went about designing sessions. Um, and he obviously had, he, he has his own, his own core principles and, um, and his were just basically make it competitive. So always opposed, always have a winner and a loser. Um, and always try and um, focus on the same outcome but within your session design tweak it so it doesn't you, it doesn't feel the same and that really got me thinking because I've experienced as a coach in not necessarily the DPP because you're kind of coaching towards a syllabus so it's, it's almost done for you but at, at, at Bournemouth like the boys pay to play and you know, they're, they're there, they want to have fun. They want to come away and have enjoyed it. So I'm like, Oh God, like I feel under pressure to, to change the session every single week. And, you know, actually I, I've probably done them a, a disservice in doing that. Um, so that's sort of made me think now in terms of session design, I've got to be a lot more um, clever and um, about the way that I go about it. So designing a session and, and you know, having, a particular outcome based on a principle of play, for example. Um, and, you know, just make, just being happy to cover that for the next three or four weeks, but then being good enough to manipulate the session so that, um, that it doesn't feel the same, but you're still getting the same outcome, which I thought was really cool. Um, they asked him about, cause he, he's in the Academy system and, and his sessions are crazy, like not chaotic, but like really creative. And they asked him about, the the sort of balance between making mistakes but also having to create good players to then move on to the senior squad and I think that's something I worry about as well with especially with Bournemouth in in a sort of results driven environment you know you want to make sessions fun you want to make them interesting you want to make them engaging but you've still got to create an outcome on a Saturday Um, and the way he talked about that was just that the way he, he structures his week is that he'll do a lot of um, sort of constrained condition stuff. And then towards the end of the week, it will go to more free play. Um, and then the players are getting to make those decisions. And that's when he can just be a little bit more um, sort of freeze frame. And, you know, why were you seeing that? Or what were you seeing? Why did you do that? Um, which I thought was cool. Um, one thing as well he, he spoke about was um, like sort of overloading and underloading. So, 
again, which made me reflect, like I always overload the attack. Um, and I think it's because probably one of my biases, like I love attacking. So I want to have loads of success and I love just seeing good free flowing attack, but actually, um, there's probably times where it's been a bit too easy. And he talked about underloading in football, um, which obviously got me thinking about rugby. And um, I started thinking, well, if you've underloaded the attack, there's obviously less space for them to do it. And it will actually create opportunities for, for really good one-on-one um, uh, like, uh, attacking opportunities rather than you know necessarily finding space. You've actually got to identify a weak defender and, and, and go for that. Because we do a lot of one-on-one stuff, but once you've, once you've beaten that, that defender in a one-on-one, this is the end, of the, the end of the rep and then you go again sort of thing. But then by underloading it and, um, and creating really, really hard, difficult opportunities for, for one-on-ones, and then it also creates opportunities for people off the ball as well, like starting to read, oh, like I know Phil's got great feet, so he's going to beat that, um, that prop in front of him. And then off the ball, I've got to then be really proactive off of it. So I thought that was really cool. And again, it's just nice to see how there's, there's transfer from, from football to rugby or just coaching really in general. Um, you, you've clearly seen some my old footage, mate. I appreciate. I have, it. yeah. Thank you. Good, good. Yeah. Beat Sampras. Say again. Beat Sampras. They called him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then again, he talked about sort of the balance between condition games and and constraints led, and then I suppose over constraining, which is something I've definitely, definitely done. Like I've went down the rabbit hole of, of like constraints led approach and all that sort of thing. And, you know, create crazy sessions where, you know, I constrain this and constrain that. And although it still looked like rugby, I think eventually like the, the, the players or the people that, or the, the, the team that I was constraining would then, um, I suppose do things that was unnatural. And then, and then I realized I was giving mixed messages as well. So I'm asking the defense to do one thing when we're defending. So when we're actually coaching defense, but then when I'm trying to like give the, the attack opportunities, I'm then asking the defense to do something completely different, which just mess with their heads. And, and when he talked about that, I thought that's such a good idea. And the way he put it was um, he, when he designs a session, he wants um, to basically highlight a particular outcome uh, or, or a set of principles but he doesn't want it to restrict or induce undesired behaviors in another part of the game or another part of the principle, which I thought was really, really cool. So actually thinking about my session design and what I've just spoken about really is, yeah, like I've, you know, I might've given loads of opportunities to the attack, but uh, they're not actually them behaviors I want to see from my defense. So um, yeah, got me thinking long and hard about that. Um, Yeah. And then just goes on to sort of, I guess, a little bit more about his sort of principles or the way he designed sessions. And this is just sort of, again, I think most of us probably already do this, but worth, worth pointing out to to coaches that haven't really thought about it is just working backwards from your principle or your outcome. So making sure that that's sort of how you're designing your session. Um, And yeah, and then just being really, really smart and clever with, with the points. So giving points for the desired behaviors you want to see, um, manipulating the field, um, which I thought was cool. He he actually uses sometimes rather than a principle, he used like he'll just come up with a crazy pick, uh, uh, shape of a field, and then say, right, how can my principles or how do the behaviours that I want my players to to um, 
to perform, how would they be able to do this within this shape? And, and it's, yeah, just something different to think about. Um, yeah. And that's about it really. I, you know, there's obviously a lot more, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk for too long um, uh, and go over the same sort of points, but, um, but yeah, no, I found it really interesting. It's definitely worth a listen. Um, if you're, you know, thinking about um, session design or just, just for a different, different approach on it um, from a different sport, which is again, something he highlighted at the end is just um, feedback is key. So get pe- feedback from your players, get feedback from your co-coaches, which is like what Roy, I think your, your, um, your sort of, um, webinar touched on is is having people around you that you trust and you know will just give you exactly what you need to what what you you need to hear not what you want to hear um and uh, and yeah and trying to get different people in as well like different different coaches which i've started thinking of now is for the off season or for, for the new season is who can i invite in from you know different environments that are going to give me like really cool um really cool feedback based on session environment all that sort of stuff um, so yeah, really, really good listen. Really worth uh, worth a listen for that. Yeah, I I I think that I think that's uh, brilliant, Popey. I I wondered in terms of underloading, like mm. just thinking about my level, it's not too dissimilar probably to to Bournemouth. But I wonder how many guys are in the attack in an underload situation still just watch their beautiful pass. Yeah, yeah. And then fall off it. Oh, that was great. Yeah, I've done. And it's maybe and, and coming coming back to football and thinking straight away what you were talking about there. In football you hear second ball. Yeah. Maybe there's a second pass. Maybe you're available again straight away. So that if you have stacked something up in one of these wonderful formations of one three three one or something like that, or whatever whatever that looks like in this wonderful world, um, that you've got then an option that 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 key decision maker or player maker, whatever that looks like is back on the ball second time. So yeah. they are, they're not just watching. So hookers, they throw in, Oh, that was a great throw. That was great. Double tops. Double, yeah. <laughs> oh, they got no chance of catching that yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Amazing. And then that's it. And then they go, Oh yeah, I need to be in this mall now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's, and it's I, I wonder how much of that's training as well because like we've probably all got them at our clubs. Like I would take a line out on the twenty-two and they stay there all night. And there's a divot mark, a bit like a goalkeeper's line. Just this yeah, is my yeah. patch. <laughs> and then they don't bother getting in the mall. So when when we go to, for a drive in mall to score, it gets knocked on because the hookers usually just stood there with another ball ready to go. Mm. And I, just, I just I just wonder how much more I can think of in session design about not falling off your pass and watching it yeah so i I think yeah yeah definitely and i think again so like going back to his point about behaviors so for example you know the outcome might be yeah playing to space but you might award a point for a really good behavior which could and the behavior could be a second touch on the ball you know it makes a line break if you get a second touch you get a bonus point or double double points or whatever it is but yeah Yeah. it's like you said it's and i think it, there's so much there's so much you could explore and 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 it's it's about it's a yeah it's just been about knowing i guess understanding what behaviors you really want to see as a coach which would probably lead into your philosophies about you know attack for example um, yeah. and then yeah just really driving them home yeah and i wonder how much we can do in pre-season or is it in season so pre-season block mm. is always 
interesting in its own entirety because mm. boys just want to drink dark fruits <laughs> and be happy yeah. <laughs> compared to in season it's cold work it's windy right i'll train or i won't train and it's yeah how you get to that is is is, is difficult really but yeah, yeah I, love, I, I love that i think that's brilliant i think sort of sorry Sean, but quite, quite straight from me really um so like, i've always kind of uh, wrestle with a little bit and, and I know it's something I certainly used to do you know not that long ago is you kind of spend a lot of time planning a session with an outcome um, and you don't see that outcome and yeah. you know, the players can't perform what you're trying to do and your natural reaction is to well let's spin that and move on to something else yeah but actually what happens there is there's no learning taking place your players still can't do achieve the purpose you wanted them to achieve in the first place so I think you know it's been really um, sort of aware of your purpose and, you know, not going away from it a little bit, having, having, yeah. the, having the belief in yourself and what you're doing to, to keep back in it. Now, you then flip that on his head and, you, you know, you start losing people's energy and when you're in a, in a twice-a-week club where people are paying yeah. to be there and they want to be having fun, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it? But I think listening to what you were saying there, that's then the beauty in in changing the session without changing the purpose and being able to adapt the session but not change the purpose of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, that's a really good point because he, he goes on to speak about, um, you know, the, the guy asked him a question like, what happens when, you know, one of your sessions just falls flat on its face? And he was quite, I, I enjoyed his sort of confidence. He was like, oh, it's, it's never happened. But he said, if, if it did, uh, yeah, yeah, he said, if it did, you know, I'd, I wouldn't scrap it straight away. I would seek feedback from the players and then I would adapt it. And I think that's sort of what you're saying is, um, you know, be brave. And, and again, I think going back to your, your webinar, Roy, in terms of like building relationships and with your players is, I think it's, it's never a problem showing that vulnerability to a player and saying, I'm sorry, lads, you know, the out, that, that game didn't achieve the outcome or that didn't achieve what I wanted it to you know, let's talk about it. And um, I think they respect that as well. And, and then, you know, like you said, just change it up and but make sure that outcome's the same um, so that you're not like panicking and thinking, oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to do something completely different. And then you just chuck in a rogue game that actually is really fun, but has absolutely no transfer into the game on Saturday. Like I've done that before. And I'm like, oh, I'm losing the energy here. Right, we'll just play offside touch. Here we go. Um, <laughs> I've, I've laid all these cones out. They're all yeah. set. In, I can't. I'm not, I can't move them now. Yeah. We've got Watson crosses. We've got Jenga. We've got. I yeah. can't do this now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Popey, I think we talked about it before, but it, it came. It definitely came up on the Magic Academy when Ed Hall talked about actually, how, like, what's our timeline for progression and for development and yeah pitching that at the relevant level if you're thinking okay world's best players could probably adapt in a session certainly within a week actually okay so at national league or, or you know level six or seven or eight or nine or ten like how long could that potentially take and are yeah. we we, we want to see that in an hour and it's yeah. like well hold on the world's best players probably can't pick this up in an hour so why am i expecting something different mm. on, you know on the piece of grass i'm on but Definitely. but i also wonder that you made a great point around how often we chop and change a session and do we do we rob players of an opportunity to see their development by not sticking with the same thing for 
you know, three or four or five or six weeks to go, actually, this is what it looked like in week one. Yeah. This is now where it looks like in week six. And, and you've, even if that's, let's say, 15 minutes on the same game for six weeks, I, I, that was a big one for me. I just think we, we lose that opportunity for players to go, I actually remember playing that game six weeks ago and we were terrible. Like we yeah. didn't know the rules. We couldn't problem solve. We couldn't execute stuff. And now we're tons better. And I wonder whether that would just allow for more engagement in training. Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And since we had that conversation, I've thought about, you know, ways in which, you know, we can, we can show them. And obviously the easiest one is video. Like this is where we started. This is where we finish. But then I think as well, if you get through that process and they see that, then they then trust you for longer. So you don't then worry so much about, Oh God, are the, are the boys getting bored? If they know that actually you've got them on the right path, and it's going to result in something, then hopefully they'll buy in a lot more and you don't have to worry so much about, right, offside touch, here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And I can't remember whether this is, is a roundup. I had this discussion on or one of the other conversations, but it was a con- it, we basically got to how much of, the, it's the Wizard of Oz, like how much of the behind the curtain stuff do you show them? Mm. The, the, there are some players that couldn't give a stuff, like they're just yeah. getting in the pits, give me a ball, <laughs> I'll just run around. Others, if you showed them how you're scaffolding and where those progressions lead to and what you're trying to do, I, like, I wonder if they'd be more of the early adopters that would then make our life as coaches slightly easier because they can see the bigger picture so they can take people with them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think, so I I suppose, and again, this has now made me think of something completely different about how I've selected like my senior playing group, for example, are my senior playing group, those people, so have I picked them because they're really keen and they're really interested and, and they like to understand and know why? Um, maybe, probably, I would have thought so. <laughs> uh, that's probably why I've gravitated towards them. But then, like you're saying, you know, if, they, if they, they are that kind of person, then surely they are the perfect people to scaffold and, and actually then, like you said, run or take a bit more responsibility and say, actually, lads, like, you know, you know buy in, you know, trust in the system and then... Yeah, I don't know. Another bloody rabbit hole to go down, I think. Yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, that when guys walk in and the guys that just want to run around and focus on stuff that don't, that don't care about the mechanics, they're like, well, that, that was crap. Like, why are we doing that? It's not rugby. Yeah. yeah. If the scaffolder is then, has an understanding, do you realise that that progress from last week and that next week we'll do something a little bit more yeah. advanced and I wonder if they had those conversations that then just support you in the environment where you're then not losing players or you're not having to have all of those individual conversations yeah yeah fair point fair point and maybe maybe as well like you know thinking get, putting the emphasis back on us a little bit perhaps there's you know ways in which we can use um, you know video or, or whatever to, to try and emphasize that again so um, I don't know, maybe using clips from, from other teams, just saying like, you know, this is, this is what we're working on this week. This is the reason why. And then next week showing a, a sort of, I suppose, the next 30 seconds of that clip, perhaps, I don't know, um, and saying this is where we want to get to. And then, you know, like a bit of a, bit of a journey or a story, I don't know. But. And probably that comes back a little bit to, to some of the stuff around um, establishing your expectations with your players, what they expect yeah. from you and what you expect from them. And if you get those, um, I think, what you call them, early adopters, or I know uh, Damien Hughes calls them cultural architects, if you yeah, get yeah. them on board, then actually 
it does make it a lot easier and they're probably the people you want to target with your this is what I expect of the group and this is what you can expect from me and most importantly this is why yeah yeah definitely definitely I think um again like without trying to go into another topic <laughs> but with this what I found with with amateur rugby is so difficult because you have got those lads that just turn up and want to just absolutely like you know they're they're, they're either getting away from you know home they want to they want to have a laugh have a run around and have a beer then on on the other side of the spectrum you've got your performance players who who really want to you know develop work hard get something out of the session and it's it's balancing those as well like it's such a it's such a um there was a there was another podcast it wasn't in last week so i can't mention it but um it was a, a mark bennett one with um on the uh the culture podcast i think uh, it's like a basketball one um, and he was just talking about like cool exercises that you can have with your, your, your leisure athletes and your, and your performance athletes. And I thought that's so cool. And I'm, I'm something I'm going to do with, with my guys as well is, you know, how as performance players, like how can we make the experience for, for our leisure athletes more enjoyable and leisure athletes, how can we make the, you know, make the session as, as impactful as possible for, for the performance lot and then have that conversation. And then, you know, you probably find some, some awesome equilibrium there and, um, and yeah, have I, all my troubles will be gone. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> love it, guys! Superb. So, just uh, if you want to hit me up with what are you uh, what are you looking forward to over the next week? What have you got your eye on in terms of content? My new kind of soccer AM moment is with Jack and Fish on a Saturday morning. Um, uh, I really enjoy that podcast. That 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 hour, nine o'clock till ten o'clock. Um, I, th- I think that's so insightful and, and there's been so much learning from that so I'm looking forward to that one and I'm also on the I learned Analytica one on Thursday um, I did it last Thursday as well um, which was really good um, but also yeah so I'm looking forward to those two things yeah, um, I'll be honest, personally, I haven't done a lot of research on, on what's around next week yet, but I've definitely got a lot of, uh, lot of other ones to catch up on. One of those I'm quite keen to do is the uh, the Canada Rugby one on attack from last night uh, with Henry Paul. Uh, and also, it's also my mission next week to uh, finish the last dance as well and see if it uh, lives up to the hype. Uh, no no spoilers, but it does. <laughs> still untold, yeah, still untold. Yeah, I, I um, I'm I'm going to try and finish Sunderland till I die, which oh. is completely, completely off. Like, and don't don't normally watch that sort of thing. But it's absolutely amazing. I absolutely love it from a from a coaching perspective. Anyway, um, I'm going to actually catch up on the the Leinster um webinar. All good. Right, my my one for next week is the England Rugby Tuesday training, and that is with uh, Richard Cheatham. Um, Cheats is awesome, and that's uh, embedding learning into your regular coaching slash refereeing practice. So that would be uh, that would be quite interesting, just hearing his thoughts around that. Um, superb. Right, I will uh, round up the roundup. So we hope you find it useful. Thank you to my three guests for their excellent insight. Uh, really, really enjoyed the discussion. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Links to all the content discussed will be shared in the podcast blurb. Please subscribe, like, and share. And as we ride off into the sunset, I'd like to wish you all the best. Stay safe and go well. Bye.